Well, hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to talk about everything in the world of professional wrestling, from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, AEW Collision, and Impact Wrestling. Yes, you heard Collision. Collision happened on Friday, the exact same time as SmackDown. So, yes, I talked about that. So, that will be uh, talked about this week on this episode. Also, I will be giving you guys my predictions for AEW Full Gear, which will be happening tonight if you're listening to this episode today on a Saturday. And also, before I do give my predictions before the end of the show, I do talk about Eddie Guerrero, and I do say that I do say how he is the most influential uh, wrestler, basically, in my personal opinion, of all time. And I basically compare him to Ric Flair, but how he's better than Ric Flair in a way, because the way people remember him. But you'll get more into that whenever, uh, towards the end of the show. So, with all that being said, let's start the show. So, let's start with Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Cody Rhodes. Cody will be in the middle of the ring, and in the main event of Raw, it will be for the Undisputed Tag Team titles, Finn Balor and Damian Priest, defending against Cody and Jay Uso. Cody would say that him and Jay plan on winning back the tag team titles in the main event. Cody would then move on into talking about the match beyond, which is referred to as War Games. But before he could do so, Cody would introduce his teammates to come out to the ring. You would get Jey Uso, Sami Zayn, and the World Heavyweight Champion Seth Rollins coming to the ring. You would get this moment between Seth and Cody where they would stare down each other before the Judgment Day would come down to the ring. Because Cody and Seth, they're still not on the best terms because, well, Cody came back in uh, his first feud was Seth, and Seth kind of put him on the shelf, so they still have that little underlying tension there in the middle of the ring. Judgment Day will come out. We would get some smack talking from both groups, but the thing that would poke um, the Judgment Day over the edge would be Cody saying that he's surprised that they were able to make it out to the ring without their leader, Rhea Ripley. Now, you would get some back and forth from Pre saying there is no leader. Cody will continue poking, saying that Dom must be Next up, since Rhea isn't here and the orders will be coming down from Rhea to Dom, and if it's not Dom and it's not the rest of you, then maybe it's JD. This will make Priest finally snap and tell Cody that he's the leader. And at that moment, you can see Finn have a look on his face when Priest makes that statement, and even JD will have to look at Finn and tell him, hey, Priest didn't mean that. You know what he meant. So you still get some more back and forth. Seth would announce that he's sick and tired of this and he wants to have a fight. Since Seth and Sammy's in their gear, Seth would say, why don't me and Sammy go against you two, JD and Dom? So we would get this match because Priest was uh, agree on Dominic and JD's behalf. So we get the tag match. Seth, Sammy, Dominic, JD McDonough. This match would turn into a DQ win for Seth and Sammy. When Priest and Finn would come from the crowd and pull Seth out of the ring, and start beating up on him. Now it's a four-on-two attack until Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso will come down to the ring at this moment, and it will turn into a brawl, just like we saw at the end of Raw last week. And again, we get backstage officials, securities, referees coming down to the ring as well. Adam Pearce will get sick of it, just like he did last week, and say that he's tired of this crap in that in the main event for the tag team titles. Everyone that is involved in the War Games match will be banned from the arena. So that means you will not see JD, you will not see Dominic, you will not see 
Sammy. You will not see Seth. It will only be a straight-up one-on-one tag team matchup between both of the teams. So we get this, and Rhea Ripley gets in Adam Pierce's face. She said, that's not fair. This isn't going to happen. Pierce tells her that that's exactly going to happen, and you're going to keep your distance away from the match as well. And then we get Zoe Starks coming down. Zoe would say a couple words to Rhea, but Rhea would put Zoe over by calling her one of the fiercest uh, women in the women's division. How she won the Battle Royal last week impressed her, and it impressed her to the point that Rhea says that Zoe even reminds her a little of herself when she got into WWE, and that Zoe is a future champion, but just not this championship, because this is Rhea Ripley's division. She's Rhea Bloody Ripley. You get the gist. And Zoe, she would say something to Rhea, and Rhea would make a face and want to attack Zoe from behind, but Zoe would pull the ropes down, Rhea would uh, fumble out of the ring, and that's the end of this segment here. Now, there will be multiple backstage segments from the Judgment Day, and when I mean multiple, I just mean like two, um, throughout the night, and the first one would be Finn, Dominic, Rhea, Priest, backstage, and you see Priest, like, warming his hands up, and Dom, Finn, and Rhea are talking, and it comes to the point that Dom looks at Priest, because Rhea will say that, looks like we gotta talk to the leader over here, getting at what Priest said earlier in the night, and Priest will say, listen guys, you know I didn't mean that, I was just in the heat of the moment, and Rhea will say, you know what, I know, but you're not kind of, you're not wrong because it kind of makes sense. So why don't we have you be the leader for the war games match for the men? And Finn would agree to it. Dominic would agree to it. So priest is going to be the leader for the men's war games for team judgment day. And you will see them grab a black duffel bag. And priest says, Oh, we got to do that tonight. Cause friend wants to have JD officially part of the judgment day because JD took a, a spear that was meant for Priest by Jey Uso in that brawl. JD moved Priest out of the way and took that. And Priest is unaffected. JD is injured. Well, not injured. He's in the medical uh, room getting himself checked out. Priest says, uh, I don't think that we need to do that. I don't think he's ready. You get pushback from uh, Finn, Rhea, and Dom. And Priest says, you know what? Fine. I'll do it. It needs to come for me anyway. So, Priest gets the duffel bag. He goes to meet JD later in the night. He, when he does, he would tell JD point blank, listen, I don't think you're ready. And there's a still big part of me that still doesn't think you're ready to be a part of this. But Finn and the rest of them feel like you're a part of it. And also, since you took a spear from me, uh, Priest would open up the duffel bag and give JD a Judgment Day uh a tired jacket. So JD McDonough is now part of the Judgment Day. So we have that here. JD is officially part of the Judgment Day. Hurrah. Now, we get to our second match of the night. Otis with the Alpha Academy going against Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura still on his crusade because he's still speaking cryptic about wanting to face someone. He talks about how he's waiting patiently, but he's starting to wear thin on the patience. And again, we all don't know who... Nakamura is talking about, but Nakamura would beat Otis. He would hit three Kinshasa's on Otis to win the match. After the match, 
the Alpha Academy will look after Otis. Nakamura will poke at Chad Gable, making Chad turn around. Nak will make his attention known that he wants to fight Chad Gable next. And it seems that Nakamura's picking away at the Alpha Academy member by member, because last week he went against Akira Tozawa. This week it was Otis. Next week, more likely Chad Gable. So, I think this is all slow burn to see who Shinsuke Nakamura is going to be facing. Maybe at uh, Survivor Series, maybe not. Because again, they're slow burning this thing. Because Nakamura, as I said earlier, he's giving this cryptic message week by week. Saying he's waiting patiently. He wants to have that person come out. He's tired of waiting. So again, Everybody has their online speculation. Certain people think it's Randy Orton. Certain people think it's CM Punk because Survivor Series is going to be in Chicago. And Randy Orton has begun to start uh, training back at the WWE Performance Center because there was a video, I believe, a month ago of Randy going down to the Performance Center. So, again, nobody knows what's going on. I'm interested in knowing what's going to happen with Shinsuke Nakamura because Nakamura is one of those guys that has always been a stopping start situation. When you got to the main roster... They look like they weren't doing nothing with him, but then they started getting some steam with him when he won the Royal Rumble, and he got that match with AJ that was not, it wasn't a Wrestle Kingdom match, let's put it like that. And then he had that lackluster feud with AJ in that year, and then it just started to go downhill until he started picking up later, well, last year, when he started teaming up with Rick Boogs, and actually got the crowd invested once again in what Nakamura was doing. And then when they got Rick Boos get injured, and then it just seems that it's always been a stopping start situation with Nakamura. And again, this year, he wasn't doing much at the beginning of the year. And then he started feeding with Seth, and it looks like we started getting something into Nakamura. And then now he's not with Seth. He's doing something cryptic. And again, you're keeping interest in what Nakamura is doing, but the biggest interest is who is Nakamura really calling out. So I like that they got this from Nakamura. However, I just hope that they're actually able to cash in on who it is. So, one, it builds Nakamura up. And two, it gives Nakamura some credibility for bringing out such a big name or a name that is injured to face him. That's all that really matters for me with Nakamura. Because Nakamura was one of the big uh, Japanese New Japan wrestlers that WWE was able to take away a couple years ago. And again, the Nakamura experience or experiment hasn't been too much of of a success compared to his NXT days, but I'm not going to continue to do that because NXT uh, back in that time was completely different and it was just beautiful. But that's just me nerding out and just on to the next thing. Uh, next match, Piper Nivens with Chelsea Green in her corner going against Tegan Knox, who had Natalia in her corner. Tegan Knox will win the match by pinfall by using a crucifix pin. No more needs to be said here. Next matchup, Ludwig Kaiser with Giovanni Vinci in his corner, going against Tommaso Ciampa, who will have Johnny Gargano in his corner. This is still continuing the feud of Imperium going against DIY. Ludwig Kaiser will get the win by pinfall, thanks to Giovanni Vinci kicking Johnny Gargano in the face, and this would uh, get Ciampa's attention, allowing Ludwig Kaiser to roll up Ciampa using the tights as leverage for the win. Now, later in the night, you would see Gunther walk up on... Uh, Vinci and Ludwig Kaiser, and this is different from the usual walk-ups that we will have, because usually it will always be Gunther giving praise to Ludwig Kaiser and kind of downing and shaming Vinci, but this time it was different. Gunther was 
like praising Giovanni Vinci and kind of ignoring Ludwig Kaiser because Gunther would give uh, Vinci a compliment and Ludwig Kaiser would think that Gunther was talking to him, but that wasn't the case. Gunther would turn over to Ludwig and tell him, no, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Giovanni because without Giovanni, you would have lost. So Giovanni, he gets that nice little pep in his step because usually, as I said, it's always them downing him. And he actually got this nice pat on the back from uh, Gunther, and it's not what Ludwig Kaiser wants to hear or see because he's now getting talked down. He's now feeling less than, and you see Giovanni Vinci just smiling with a big uh, cheese-eating grin on his face. And once Gunther would walk away, Kaiser would ask Giovanni what you're smiling about, and he just walks away with a big smile on his face again. Giovanni Vinci, he feels good because he got Pat on the back from the ring general. In Kaiser, not so much. Now, next up, we will have Zia Lee going against Indy Harwell with Candice LeRae in Indy's corner. The ref would call for referee stoppage towards the end of the match when Zia Lee would hit Indy with her devastating spin kick. So they're really putting over that spin kick, how it's devastating, how once Zia Lee hits you with it, it's going to knock you out and it's going to be game over. Now, after the match, Becky Lynch, she will come out and she will want a piece of Zia Lee for what Zia did to her last week when Zia head kicked Becky before Becky even got into the Battle Royal last week. Becky would get in the ring, go after Zia, look to hit a manhandle slam on Zia, but Zia would push off of Becky and slide out of the ring. Becky would get a mic, tell Zia Lee that she has seven days to run because next week Zia Lee will get her shot in the big times. So, it will be Becky Lynch going against Zia Lee next week. So, this is Becky Lynch uh, time to get some type of revenge on Zaya. Next matchup, Miz versus Ivar. Miz would win the match with pinfall thanks to a distraction from Bronson Reed. Now, the reason why Bronson was out here was because uh, Miz had a backstage interview. And you would see Ivar interrupted. Ivar and Miz would have a couple words with each other. And then Bronson Reed would come in, Bronson Reed would kind of stick his nose in, saying that uh, Miz and Ivar is lucky that Miz won the match last week because Gunther has escaped facing Bronson Reed. Ivar would stick his nose in by saying, you had your shot against Gunther and you lost. So now you got the two big guys basically staring down with each other in this backstage segment as Miz basically just slides out of the way. So when we get to this match... Ivar would dominate the Miz towards the end. Bronson Reed's out there. Ivar has Miz in position to hit a moonsault. However, Ivar would see Bronson leave the chair that he's sitting in and walk up to the ring. Ivar would see Bronson start talking trash to him. This distraction allowed Miz to grab Ivar and hit him with a powerbomb and place his feet on the top rope as leverage for pinfall win. Now, after the match, Bronson Reed would get in the ring and body tackle Ivar and then hit him with a tsunami for the win. So, this rivalry between Ivar and Bronson Reed is probably going into a match next week or Raw. Two big guys going against one another. I'm not opposed to that. I hope we see that next week. That's what I'm hoping for. And this also gives Miz momentum as he goes against uh, Gunther at Survivor Series for the Intercontinental title. Now, we move over to our main event. Undisputed Tag Team Championship match, Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso going against the Tag Champions, Damian Priest and Finn Balor. 
Finn and Priest would retain their tag titles by pinfall thanks to interference from Drew McIntyre. Now, this will happen towards the end when Jey Uso and Cody were completely in control. They hit the uh, code 1D on Finn Balor. Priest breaks it up. Jey Uso has Finn and Priest outside of the ring. Jay hits a Top Gun Hilo onto Finn and Priest. And once Jay gets to his feet at ringside is Drew McIntyre. The referee doesn't see this because he's dealing with Cody Rhodes at the time. And Drew McIntyre will hit Jay Uso with a Claymore kick. And then Drew would throw Jay back into the ring. You will see Priest looking at Drew confused. Finn will look at Drew confused as Drew is starting to walk up the ramp onto the stage. And Finn would cover Jay to win and retain his and Priest tag team titles. Now, after this, you would see Cody get in the ring, just be right next to Jay, try to tell him, hey man, it's not your fault. And you see Jay and Cody look up on the stage and Drew is just standing there. And you see Rhea Ripley walk out. And you see her extend her hand out to Drew. Drew turns to look at Rhea and shakes her hand with a smile on his face. And that's how Monday Night Raw will go off. Now this gives to a long-term storyline that they have been constantly doing for, uh, for a legit year. Drew McIntyre has been stating constantly that he has not been able to win the big one because of Bloodline messing with him. And he stays back to Clash of the Castle. And he stays back to probably even Survivor Series whenever him and what Roman Reigns went against one another. I believe it was 2020. I mean, Drew has some ill will towards the bloodline. And more specifically, Jay. Since Jay's now on Raw and he can't get his hands on uh, Jimmy or Roman. Why not get it on Jay? Because Jay's always was the lackey. So now what we have here is Drew... Costing Cody, costing Jay the shots at being tag champions. And I feel that Drew's going to constantly do this until he makes Jay's life a complete living hell on Monday Night Raw. And with this being said, I think we're going to get a 5-on-5 Survivor Series matchup. I think Adam Pearce is going to add Drew to the Judgment Day tag, uh, Judgment Day team. Lots of virus series. So with that, we now are probably down four to five. Cody Rose, Sammy, Seth, and Jay probably got to find a fifth guy. And probably next week on Monday Night Raw, we will find out who that fifth guy would be if Drew does join Team Judgment Day. But with that being said, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to NXT. NXT will open up with the NXT Tag Team Championships being defended. The champions, Chase U, is represented by Andre Chase and Duke Hudson, with JC Jane and Thea Hill in their corner, going against The Family, which is represented by Tony D'Angelo and Stax. Tony and Stax will regain their NXT Tag Team Championships by pinfall by hitting a double uh, back slam on Andre Chase to win the match. Now, the big story in this match is that Chase University is, quote-unquote, being investigated. More importantly, Andre Chase is because this is his university, and apparently Andre Chase has done something. Now, usually when a representative of Chase U is having a match, somebody will be in the match, and you have, like, a section in the audience be the Andre Chase, well, Chase U student body, uh, 
crowd section where you'll see people in Chase U t-shirts cheering for the wrestler who's representing Chase U. And in this match, you didn't see the student body like cheering for Chase U. As a matter of fact, they were like disappointed. They didn't cheer. They didn't do nothing. And at like towards the end of the match, you would see members of that student body just start leaving the audience and start going to the back. So it shows that everybody's starting to turn their back on Chase U. They don't have as much faith in Andre Chase. And that's the reason why Chase U lost his match to Tony D'Angelo and Stax. Now, next up, we will have the Supernova Sessions with the special guest Alpha Academy. The big thing that came out of this was that next week, uh, Noam Dar will be defending his uh, NXT Heritage Cup against Chad Gable. At first, they thought it was going to be Otis because the way that it was like propped up from the Alpha Academy side and the way that Otis walked in front of Chad Gable and Chad said that he found someone and found Noam Dar and opponents as Noam says that uh, he has no one to defend his trophy against because he's basically beaten almost everyone. So that's the reason how we get Chad Gable going against uh, Noam Dar next week on NXT. Then after that, we get the Iron Survivor Challenge Qualifying Match. And this week, it was Hall of Famer Lita picking both the men and women qualifying match. And this week, for the women, it was Lash Legend going against uh, Roxanne Perez. Lash would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Chikara Jackson and Kiana James interfering. When Roxanne had control of the match, Chikara would get in the ring and distract the referee. This allowed Kiana James to appear and grab Roxanne by the arm. Lash would hit a big boot on Roxanne, then grab her up and hit her with a powerbomb for the win. So now Lash Legend has joined Tiffany Stratton in the Women's Iron Survivor Challenge match that will be happening at Deadline. And I did like how Booker T uh, was reprimanding the referee for the cheating aspect that Lash Legend did here because usually with metaphors in a match he usually cheers for metaphor whether it be Noam Dar or Mensa uh, Lash Legend or Jakar Jackson he usually cheers for them because he likes them but since it's someone that Booger T has trained and he has a personal relationship like Roxanne Perez he didn't like that uh, metaphor stuck their nose in Roxanne's business and that's how uh, Lash would get the win so Booker T, I like that he added that personal, like, personal um, element to the matchup, especially with knowing the knowledge that Booker T has and how he likes both metaphor and he has a personal connection to Roxanne. So I like that with this match. And the next Iron Survivor uh, Challenge qualifying match would be Trick Williams with Carmelo Hayes in his corner going against Joe Coffey, who will have Gallus in his corner. Now, Trick would win the match by pinfall by countering a discus clothesline and hitting a flash knee strike for the win. And Booker T, again, being the star, he will commentate and talk about Carmelo Hayes needing to intervene and in helping Trick Williams out when Gallus would do basically what Carmelo isn't doing for Trick in this particular occasion. You will see uh, Wolfgang, you will see Joe, not Joe, but Mark Coffey interfere for Joe. Carmelo, he just kind of like stood on the side. He didn't really like take any type of helping measurements for Trick to win. I mean, there was one moment in the match where you saw Trick Williams knock down Wolfgang. Mark Coffey got on the apron and Carmelo grabbed 
at Mark. And when you saw Trick about to hit Mark with a uh, forearm, you see Carmelo pull Mark off the apron and Trick goes flying over the top rope. And then you see Trick getting up to his feet. Carmelo's talking to him, trying to give him a pep talk. And uh, Joe Coffey, he runs out of the ring and hits a suicide dive onto Trick. And the thing is here, Melo, he stepped to the side. He didn't push Trick out of the way, which Trick would usually do when Melo's in his matches, and Trick would eat the bullet for Melo. Melo didn't do that here for Trick. Trick ate the bullet in his own match. Melo stepped aside, and Booker T, he kind of noticed that, and he said that on commentary to Vic, and he said, did you see that? And Vic, he playing the guy, he's like, no, I didn't see what you're talking about, and Booker T is just like, he's catching everything that was going down right now. So again, is leading credence to Carmelo kind of being the guy to attack Trick Williams backstage. It all is leading to that, especially when you have that animosity that Trick Williams and Carmelo have at this present time. And you could kind of see it towards the end of the match, well, an aftermatch, um, where you see Trick and Melo on the ramp, and Melo is looking at the participants in the men's Iron Survivor Challenge match. And you see Jack, you see Trick so far being the first two guys out of the five guys to qualify. And you see Melo just look at Trick on the um, screen. And Trick's oblivious to this because he's happy that he just won the match. He's looking at the crowd. Melo would look at the screen, have a face of looking of disgust. And then he'll look back at Trick in person and kind of like smile and cheer him on like, yeah. And then he'll look back at the screen and again, make the exact same face. So again, we're seeing the difference between Trick and Melo. We're starting to see the pulling away because Melo likes to have the spotlight on him. And now the spotlight is now being turned to Trick. You kind of see where we're going with this. Again, I would like for the plot twist for it not to be Melo that actually attacked Trick and that Melo's just obsessed with the spotlight. And he had someone else to do it or someone else took out Trick and now it's just... It could lead into something else. I don't want Melo to be the guy because it's so easy to do it. I want someone else to be the guy, someone that actually makes sense, not just someone like the way they're trying to portray as like uh, Alexis King to do it. I don't want that, if I'm going to be honest. If they do Alexis King, I hope they make it great, but I don't see it, to be completely honest with you. So we'll wait and see how everything go. Again, I'm rambling, but for right now, the men that's in the Iron Survivors Challenge match is Trick Williams and Dijak, while the women, you have Lash Legend and Tiffany Stratton. Next matchup, we have a tag team match. The Brawling Brutes going against OTM, who have scripts in their corner. Brawling Brutes would win the match by pinfall by hitting an assisted DDT, or better known as the Snapshot, as a former WWE tag team, Eminem would use it um, to win the match. Brawling Brutes, OTM, solid tag matchup here. Uh, my big question is, where is Sheamus? I'm not certain if Sheamus is injured or they give him some time off. I don't know what's going on because for at least a month and a half, we have not seen Sheamus with the Brawling Brutes. Brutes have been on SmackDown and they've been on NXT. What's up with that? Is Sheamus coming back or not? I don't know what the deal is. I just would like to know what's going on. That's it. But solid match from Brawling Brutes at OTM. Next matchup, Gigi Dolan going against Ariana Grace. Gigi would win the match by pinfall by hitting a rolling crucifix bomb for the win. Again, solid matchup here. No more needs to be said. Main event time. 
Wesley going against Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin would win the match by pinfall by hitting end of days, but he would get some assists from Dominic Mysterio because Dominic would uh, be outside the ring. Wes would hit Dom with a top gun he low, and then uh, as the referee's counting, Wes would have to make the decision to continue going after Dominic or go into the ring to go after Baron. And once he makes the decision to go back into the ring to go after Baron at the count of nine, that's when Baron would hit end of days to beat Wesley. So Wes is still going after Dominic for the North American Championship. And now this gives momentum for Baron Corbin because Baron has his eyes set on an NXT World Championship that Ilya Dragunov is carrying. Now, after the match, you will see Baron Corbin attack Wesley until Ilya would run down to the ring to make the save. Ilya would start beating up on Corbin. And then as Ilya is looking to hit his torpedo headbutt, he will rush over to Baron. Baron would catch him and hit him with end of days. Baron would hold up the NXT title. Again, as we all know, Baron is gunning for the NXT championship, but he would just solidify it by lifting up the title here. He would leave the ring. Ilya would get a microphone, and he would tell Baron that he got his uh, NXT championship matchup, and it will be at deadline. So, at deadline, the NXT title will be up for grabs between Baron Corbett and Ilya Dragunov. So, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Solid NXT show. Um, next week, we have, as I said already, Noam Dar going against Chad Gable for the NXT Heritage Cup. And also, the NXT Women's Championship will be defended as Zia Lee will be going against Lyra Valkyria. So, next week, that's what we have for NXT right now. And we'll have to wait and see what happens next week. So, with that being said, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with a tag team contest with the international champion, Arch Cassidy, teaming up with the FTW champion, Hook, to go against Blackpool Combat Club's members, John Moxley and Willie Yuta. Mox and Yuta would win the match by pinfall when Mox would hit Hook with the paradigm shift and Yuta will lock in the seatbelt pin for the win. This match was focused on, well, Yuta and Hook inside the ring. You would get Mox and Arch Cassidy really fighting outside of the ring from time to time. They'll be uh, taking part in this match inside the ring with Orange Cassidy going after Yuta, Arch Cassidy trying to go after Mox, and then uh, vice versa. Mox getting in the ring with Cassidy from times, but Mox with uh, Hook. They were really trying to give a lot of focus to Hook and Yuta, but give focus to Mox and Cassidy, but since Full Gear is on Saturday, which today, if you're listening to it, um, Mox and Cassidy, they would just get some time, but it was really focused to Hook and Yuta since Mox and Cassidy have a match at Full Gear. Now, the big thing to come out of this match, technically, was that Moxley is sending fear through Arch Cassidy because once Arch Cassidy tried to hit Moxley with uh, the Orange Punch, that would try to knock Mox down, but Mox would just get hit with it, but it looked like it wouldn't phase him. Mox will look at Arch Cassidy angry, and Cassidy, he will just stand there stunned, and he will look at his fist. Mox would uh, push Cassidy out of the ring, and that led to Moxley hitting Hook with the paradigm shift and Yuta getting the win. After the match, you see Orange Cassidy holding his international championship in one hand, uh, having his fist still balled up. Cassidy still sitting down. Moxley will get a mic and tell 
Cassidy that at full gear he's going to make the world be right because he's going to basically break Orange Cassidy and take back the International Championship and there's nothing that Orange Cassidy can do about it. So we're getting this look of fear from Orange Cassidy because Cassidy's usually the cool, calm, and collected guy. Nothing really phases him. But since losing the title to John Moxley at All Out this year, Orange Cassidy hasn't been the same. From time to time, he's been showing some uh, passive-aggressive to certain opponents. And then when it's time for Moxley, just anytime Orange Cassidy's in a ring or in an arena around Moxley, he just shows aggression because he doesn't like Moxley and he needs to beat Moxley and just so he can get his run back. So that's where we're at here with Orange Cassidy. So right now you see Orange Cassidy holding his title. He's holding it more tightly. So it seems that Orange Cassidy might do some devious or debauchery move to retain his title at full gear, but we'll just have to wait and see what happens then. Now, next up, we will get a face-to-face confrontation with Swerve Strickland and Hangman Page in the ring, and I'm just going to play the audio clip of Hangman just basically cooking the absolute hell out of Swerve Strickland. Why did Swerve go into my house? Swerve, because you are a coward. You are a fraud. You're a phony. You are a worthless worthless waste of human life and you are a grade a dumbass you are dumber today than you were two years ago when your dumbass got fired you can't cut it you are not the man that you think you are it's the reason your fiance left you and it's the reason your kids won't talk to you swerve you are a coward you don't surround yourself with family or friends you surround yourself with yes men like the gates of agony like brian cage and if you weren't such a dumbass you know that prince nana is just using you nana just to come out here he does this funny little dance prince nana makes his living off of your back and when the show's over, he goes down in the hotel parking lot and he spends that living buying weed from a high school kid. But Nana, after I beat Swerve's ass, I'm going to beat your ass and I'm going to steal your weed. You, Swerve, you should have never, ever come into my house. And we don't need lawyers. We don't need the cops because at full gear, I am your judge. I am your jury. And I am your executioner. And I will take you to spend an eternity in Swerve's house at the bottom of hell. So that will be Hangman talking up Swerve. And uh, Hangman would let Swerve know that since they cannot have a no-touch policy here, he can actually get down and punch Prince Nana, which he does so. So you get Hangman beating up on Nana. Uh, Swerve, he can't touch Hangman, so he's there, helpless. Security would come in, separate Hangman off of Nana, and Swerve would get Nana and himself out of the ring. Hangman would beat him on some security, then hit one security guard with the buckshot lariat, and that's how that segment would end. I loved this segment between Swerve and Hangman. Swerve was not able to get one piece of offense on Hangman at all. Swerve's whole offense has been mental toil mind games with Hangman throughout this whole build from Russell Dream to now with full gear. It's all been mental warfare with him. He hasn't touched Hangman. He hasn't beat up on Hangman much. It's just nothing but mental warfare. Hangman, another point, he cannot go mental warfare except for right here when he can no longer touch Swerve. So Hangman had to get all of his anger offensively but mentally with Swerve, and that made Swerve crack here. You saw Swerve 
really buckle whenever Hangman started mentioning his fiance leaving him, his kids not talking to him, him getting fired two years ago. I mean, Swerve started to really buckle under the pressure there. And again, this is nothing but mental mind games that Hangman was able to play with Swerve here. And Swerve was not able to get one ounce of retaliation. I like this segment. I like seeing this side of Hangman Page. This is the side of Hangman Page that we have not seen since he was uh, chasing for the AEW World title when Kenny Omega had it. And that was in, what, 2021? So that's two years ago. We haven't seen this side of Hangman Page at all. And I'm glad we're able to see that and Swerve was able to bring this out of Hangman. So I know they're going to have a great match at Full Gear, the Texas Death Match. That's going to be great. And uh, yeah, I just love this segment so much. Now, next up, we would get to Red Velvet going against Sky Blue. Sky Blue would win the match by pinfall, hitting Cold Blue. So now with Sky doing so, she is now part of the Triple Threat match at Full Gear for the TBS Championship with Julia Hart and the champion Chris Statlander. Next up, we will have Samoa Joe in a squash match against John Cruz. Joe will win the match by submission, locking in the Coquina Clutch. After the match, Samoa Joe will get a mic and again enlist his help to MJF and that his offer is limited because Joe is going after Max and it's inevitable. So whether MGF picks Samoa Joe as his tag partner or not, Samoa Joe is still going after MGF because he wants that AEW World Championship. So Max has some uh, decisions to make. Now, next up, we would get a tag matchup here. The Young Bucks going against Commander and Penta. The Young Bucks would win the match by pinfall, using low blows in the match when the referee wasn't looking. The referee was dealing with Matt Jackson at this point. Uh, you would see Commander jump off the top rope. Nick would catch him and hit him uh, in the nuts with a low blow. Would kick him in the nuts. Penta would run in, and then you see Nick kick Penta in the nuts. And you see and you hear the crowd booing the Young Bucks at this moment. And might I mention, they're in California. This is Young Bucks territory here. So just to hear the crowd booing the Young Bucks, it wasn't shocking because everybody wants to see the Young Bucks as heels. They've been kind of like building up this for the last couple of weeks for the Young Bucks to turn. So they finally did it here. Uh, you will see Matt hit Penta with the Judas Effect, and then you will see the Bucks hit Commander with the BTE trigger to win the match. Now, aside from that, the match with the Young Bucks and uh, Commander and Penta, solid tag match here. It's the Young Bucks going against Lucha's uh, match here. Is You're always going to get solid tag work, solid uh, tag team matchup with the Young Bucks going against any Lucha Libre uh, wrestler. To be completely honest, whether it's Penta and Phoenix, or right here, Commander and Penta, or uh, Elvin Kingo and Commander, if they do something like that. I think the Young Bucks did go against Vin Kingo and someone else. But anytime the Young Bucks have a match with a Lucha Libre specialist, you know what's coming. It's always a great match. I had no problem with it. Uh, Commander did a crazy spot. I believe it was Penta having Nick Jackson on his shoulders. Commander would rock the ropes and walk on the back of uh, Nick and then hit Matt Jackson with the Canadian Destroyer. And then you would see Penta hit the Canadian Destroyer next on uh, Nick. I mean, this was a solid tag match here. Again, just another high-flying process from Commander doing his business. Penta, he was able to do a little bit of high-flying, but that was more of Commander's lane. But again, you know what to expect when you get Young Bucks going against Lucha Libre. You know what time it is. 
Next up, the Guns. They will have a squash match. They will beat two uh, jobbers. You didn't really get their names here. Uh, hitting one of them with 310 to Yuma for the win. After the match, the Guns will get on the mic and tell MGF that all his friends are gone and that at full gear, his championships will be gone because they are taking the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles with them at full gear. So that's what we have here. Next up, we will have the Like a Dragon Street Fight, which would have the Don Callis family, which is represented by uh, Powerhouse Hobbs, Kanosuke Takeshita, Kyle Fletcher, and for one night only, Brian Cage, because Prince Nana and uh, Don Callis, they made a deal for money in exchange for Don, Cal- uh, Don Callis using Brian Cage for one night, going against the team of Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, Paul White, and Kota Ibushi. Now, well, Kenny Omega would win this match by pinfall, hitting the one-winged angel on Brian Cage as Powerhouse Hobbs was duct-taped to the ropes and incapacitated because Kenny Omega would hit him with uh, a V-trigger, a bottle, so that would knock Powerhouse Hobbs out, and this would allow Kenny to hit Brian Cage with the one-winged angel to win the match. This whole match, this whole street fight, if you will, was fun. It was uh, entertaining. You had Kyle Fletcher getting choke slammed off of the ramp through a table, out, uh, like on the outside of the ramp. You had Powerhouse Hobbs fighting with Paul White to the back and even having like Powerhouse Hobbs suplexing. No, no, it wasn't suplexing. It was body slamming Paul White off a crate onto a vehicle's like windshield. And Paul White, boy, he almost missed that windshield, but he was able to hit it, hit the corner, and that took out Paul White in this match. You had Kota Ibushi doing something ridiculous. He uh, had a bicycle, and he started to ride the bicycle. He had a pipe in hand, and he started to hit Kyle Fletcher with the pipe. As he's on the bicycle, he hit Kanosuke Takeshita with the pipe. Still on the bicycle, but Brian Cage, he would clothesline Takeshita off the bike. Uh, You would see Takeshita using the bike in this match, hitting uh, Kota Ibushi with a brain buster on it, which looked nasty, and I know that probably felt nasty as well. You had Brian Cage uh, suplexing Kenny Omega from inside the ring to outside the ring through tables. Um, This whole thing was, again, just nothing but wild, fun street fight. I mean... The only person that bled in this match technically was Kyle Fletcher because Kenny Omega popped him in the head with a bottle. So that kind of busted Kyle up. He didn't bleed a lot. He just had a couple of blood, blood like markings on his face, but not a lot. But again, solid eight-man street fight. Not no biggie. I think Don Cow's family will uh, pop back from this, to be honest with you. And I thought the Young Bucks was actually going to cost... Kenny Omega and his team to win because before this match actually happened, you saw the Bucks backstage being interviewed. Uh, Kenny Omega walking up to the Bucks and saying, you guys had to do that in front of your home, in front of your family, your friends, cheat out there. You guys, that's not who you guys are. And the Bucks, well, Matt told Kenny, no, that's exactly who we are. You know we're the best when we are like this. You know we're the best when we're just not playing by the rules. As a matter of fact, you're usually the best, and when are you the best? Hmm, usually just the same way like us. So again, you see this jealousy that the Young Bucks have with Kenny for not being with them. The Young Bucks want Kenny to be with them. 
go back to them being the elite, being together, being one close unit, instead of Kenny Omega basically doing his own thing with Jericho now. So that's the thing. I thought the Young Bucks really was going to come out here at the cost of the match, but it didn't happen. So with this match going into Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho's win column, this gives the momentum going against the Young Bucks at full gear. And also the Young Bucks, they have momentum as they are going against uh, Kenny and uh, Jericho at full gear. So it's going to be a real entertaining match at full gear, to be honest with you. And also remember, uh, if the Young Bucks win, Kenny and Omega, well, no, God, Kenny and Jericho, they cannot team up together. The Golden Jets whole deal, they have to disband. And if Omega and Jericho win, they get the Young Bucks tag team titles opportunity. So, again, we have to wait and see what happens there. Now, we go to the main event segment. The world champion MJF will come down to the ring, and he would apologize to the claim. Uh, MJF would make note and say that anybody that has come close to MGF somehow always gets hurt. He talks about Adam Cole being close to him getting hurt. And now the acclaim, they got close to him in, uh, being hurt. And MGF would apologize to, again, the acclaim. MGF would say that usually the old him would run away whenever adversity like this would present itself, but that's not the situation right now. MGF is going to stand here and fight. He's not going to cower away from Bullet Club Gold. He's going to win and take back his world title. And he also makes note that whoever is wearing the devil mask and sending his goons to attack people that's around MJF, he's going to find him and make him pay because he's Maxwell Jacob Freeman. He's better than you. He hits his whole slogan. Then you see Jay White come out. Jay White would tell MGF to drop the act. He is the devil because he calls himself the devil. And he says that MGF doesn't really care about the fans like that. He's not their scumbag. He doesn't really care. And that's really the honest God truth because uh, Jay White says that MGF said that him and Jay White are not too much different. They're kind of the same. And Jay would say, if that's the case, then I know you as you know me. And I know that you don't care about these people just as much as they don't care about you. So again, we get this whole situation. Jay would say that he's going to win and uh, be the AEW World Champion at full gear, yada, yada, yada. And if you're not down with that, two words for you, get them. So this was all a setup. You will see uh, the guns and Juice Robinson come in, attack MJF. MJF was able to hold his own until Juice was able to hit him with the right hand of God. Then Jay White would come in. You would see the guns hit MJF with 310 to Yuma. And then Jay White would grab Jay up, well, MJF up, and then hit him with uh, Blade Runner and leave MJF laid out. So Bullet Club Gold would stand tall to end Dynamite. And then we would see, go backstage and see Samoa Joe watching from the screen with his arms folded. And he just looks... He doesn't look pleased, but he looks like he knows he's going to have to step in. But he's waiting for MGF to say something. So that's how Dynamite would end. Again, it's building suspense for full gear. Is MGF going to enlist the help of Samoa Joe? Because MGF's plate is full with dangerous foes at full gear. With him defending the Ring of Honor tag titles against the Guns. And then in the main event of full gear, defending the AEW World title against Jay White. So MGF has a lot on his plate. We have to wait and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, Dynamite Go Home Show for Full Gear, it was a good show. I really enjoyed it. I think a lot of people enjoyed it as well. 
And uh, that's just my review of it. So with that, that's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlight of the Week. And now we move over to Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling would open up with the Impact Tag Team Championships being on the line. You will have the Tag Team Champions Chris Bay and Ace Austin going against the challengers Shelton Jean and Kenny King. Ace and Bay would retain their Tag Team Championships by pinfall by hitting the 1-2 Sweet, which is the Art of Finesse, followed by the Fold on Shelton Jean to win the match. Great Tag Team match up to open up Impact Wrestling. Uh... Chris Bay and Ace Austin, they've been teaming up for about a year and a half to almost two years now. They have great tag team chemistry. Sheldon Gene and Kenny King, they're building their tag team chemistry, but they were actually able to pull off some uh, good tag team maneuvers here against Ace and Bay. But Ace and Bay, they just won back their tag team titles at Bound for Glory. They were not going to lose them here. So everybody knew this was a uh, foregone guard conclusion that the champions were going to retain their titles, but it was still a great tag team matchup to open up Impact Wrestling. Next matchup, we will have Moose with Brian Myers in his corner going against Heath. Moose would win the match by pinfall thanks to Brian Myers interfering. When Moose was going to hit a Uranagi on Heath, Brian would slide in Moose's feast or fired briefcase so Heath could land on said briefcase, but the referee would take the briefcase out of the ring. Heath would counter out of the Uranagi and uh, push Moose into the ropes. Heath would look to hit the wake-up call on Moose, but Brian would hold on to Moose so Moose wouldn't fall back. So Heath would hit the mat. Uh, he gets up in pain. This allows Moose to hit Heath with a spear to win the match here. After the match, you'll have Brian and Moose attack Heath until Rhino coming down to make the save. Rhino beats up on Brian, beats up on Moose. Moose would leave the ring, leave him Brian to himself with Rhino, and Rhino would hit Brian Myers with a gore. So that's how this uh, segment would end. Solid match between Moose and Heath. They have some uh, past history with each other. They even mentioned in a commentary that when Moose was uh, Impact World Champion, Heath challenged Moose for the title, and he came up short. So this was looking as a way for Heath to kind of get some uh, payback even for that loss a couple of years ago, but again, Heath was a little too short here, and uh, Moose, he just continued on to get some momentum as he's going to be facing off against Alex Shelley on TNA's first pay-per-view back as being the new brand or being rebranded as TNA, uh, Hard to Kill in January, so Moose is gaining some momentum as we're going to Hard to Kill. Now, next up, it will be a great six-man tag matchup here. It will be the Rascals, which are Trey Miguel, Zachary Owens, and the Impact debut of Myron Reed going against Juventud Guerrero, Black Tarus, and Laredo Kid, Conan, the AAA legend, the WCW legend, TNA legend. He will be there on commentary, and this was contested as Lucha Libre rules, which means tags did not have to occur in this match. I mean, you would see some tags happen, but they really didn't have to happen. Um, the only way that another person would be able to actually come in and act as the legal man was when one of their guys was outside of the ring, and then the other tag partner could just come in, and now he's a legal guy. This was absolute just chaos. You had a whole lot of high flying from the Rascals and from uh, the Luchador side. I mean, it was everything that you would think about early TNA. Whenever you see early TNA, they will have all the high flyers, all the exhibition guys going at uh, one another. This was exactly that match here. And it's also giving people an idea of what Lucha Libre is as well. 
for people that don't watch uh Mexican or Mex uh I hate to even say Mexican because that sounds wrong, but just Lucha Libre matches. Even though they're not like popularized on television except for like AEW showed it with uh Penta, uh Phoenix, the Kingo, Commander, uh Grand Mentalik, whenever they bring in the other Lucha doors into AEW is not really presented that much around. So for Impact Wrestling to have this match here and everybody all play their part so well, it worked wonderfully. Also, I didn't uh, I didn't say who won the match yet. My bad. Uh, Black Taurus would get the win for his team by catching Myron Reed in midair with a spear, then hitting Destination Hellhole, which is basically a, a uh, pile driver, but a funky style way to hit a pile driver for the win. Again, solid, great six-man tag match here. I would really highly recommend you going to watch this match. I believe Impact always have like their individual matches on their YouTube channels. So go and check that one out. And also, Myron Reed, he did a great job in his debut match here. And it's a surprise to me that Myron Reed would eat the pin here. I thought that the Rassels was actually going to win, but no. They didn't. And Myron Reed getting the eating the loss, that was, again, surprising. Because usually when someone debuts in a company, they usually don't lose. Again, you got some special uh, occasions when that does happen. But usually, I'll say about a good 95% of the time, the debuting party always wins. So for Myron Reed to eat the loss for his team, that was surprising to me. But again, Myron Reed still had a great showing in this match with his Rascals uh, counterparts. Now, next up, we have a mixed tag match. Jordan Grace and Bully Ray going against Steve Macklin and Kylan King. Jordan Grace and Bully would win the match by pinfall when Jordan would hit Kylan with the Juggernaut Driver for the win. The story for this match is that Kylan King and Steve Macklin, they have a problem with Bully Ray because they find that Bully Ray has gone soft. Uh, Bully isn't that manipulative bad guy that he usually is, or as Bully would call himself, a scumbag. He's not being as scummy as he once was. So that's the reason why we technically have this match here. Uh, Jordan, she did what she did here. Kylan King was, I would say this was more of a showcase off for Kylan King, even though Kylan King has been in Impact, I'll say, for a good couple of months. This match was more of a showcase for her because Jordan Grace, she's already uh, well-defined within Impact Wrestling audience base, so was Steve Macklin, so was Bully Ray, Kylan King, she was with Taylor Wilde as, what, the coven, now Taylor Wilde is out of here, Kylan King's here, Kylan King has to stand on her own for some time, so I feel that this was more of a showcase for her, and Kylan King, she was able to get whatever she had to get done, it's not a bad thing, I just hope that she gets more time to show out more, if I want to be honest, but Time will tell with that, but Jordan Grace will get the win for her team. Now, after this, we get Sunny Kiss going against Trinity. Uh, Trinity would win the match by pinfall by hitting a set-out full Nelson Slam, then turning it into a pin for the win. Same thing like Deanna Peraza going against uh, Tasha Steeles last week. This was a match that started out as fun because Trinity and Sunny Kiss, those two... Have never wrestled one another, but you can tell that they're uh, fans or have great admiration for each other. So this match would start with both of these individuals uh, 
trying to get one up on each other, but doing it in a fun way. And then it started getting serious towards uh, the middle and end of the match because this is a wrestling match. They got to get competitive. Someone has to win. Someone has to lose. Uh, Sunny Kiss, this is their first time in Impact on Impact TV. They made their debut at Bound for Glory, but now they are here in Impact. Hopefully, they're here for a good period of time, maybe, because I think Sunny Kiss probably could do some things in Impact Wrestling that they weren't able to do in AEW, because AEW, again, so stacked. Its roster is plentiful. Sunny Kiss was just lost in the sauce, and with Impact Wrestling having a, it has a great sizable roster that you're not going to be able to get lost in the sauce, that you're able to do something with every person on that roster. Hopefully, Sunny Kiss is able to showcase themselves and uh, just get time to let people see exactly who they are. So that's what I'm hoping for, Sunny Kiss here. But Sunny Kiss did have a good match with Trinity, and again, this just gives Trinity uh, momentum as she goes against Jordan Grace at Hard Kill in January. Now, we will go over to the main event, which will be the match that everyone wanted to see, including myself, Will Ospreay, going against Josh Alexander, the standard bearer for Impact Wrestling, going against the actual standard bearer for not just New Japan, but I think right now in 2023, going into 2024, the wrestler of the year, at least from everybody's um, assumption, Will Ospreay. And they had a great match, as you would think, if you know both of these uh, caliber men of uh, reputation in the ring. They just went fully balls to the walls. At first, they took it slowly. You would get Will Ospreay dominating a little bit because Will Ospreay has a certain dominance since this is uh, the visitor coming into someone else's home. You gotta at least let them get a couple things in. Then Josh Alexander, he would start turning it up, and now we would get a legit contest between both of the guys. Uh, as I said, great match between both of these two. Towards the end, you start seeing both of them just going after each other. You see uh, Josh hitting Will Ospreay with the Chaos Theory, locking in an ankle lock, and won't let go after Ospreay kind of made a mishap and flew off, I believe, he was coming off of a springboard, or he flew off the second rope, and he kind of landed awkwardly on his ankle. That's when Josh Alexander would start targeting the ankle, and you just start seeing Josh going after that. So you have a weak spot on all Osprey there. Osprey, he would try to uh, basically just fight off, and he was able to. He was able to uh, power through that, get out of the ankle lock, hit Josh Alexander with uh, not the sling blade, the hidden blade, hit him with an os cutter. Hit him with another Oz Cutter. Hit him with another Sling Blade. And then finally get him with the Stormbreaker to win the match. So Will Ospreay, he won here against Josh Alexander. And this is another match I would highly implore you to watch on Impact Wrestling's uh, YouTube page. If it isn't up already. Which I think they should be. So again, watch the uh, trios or six-man match on YouTube. And also watch Josh Alexander going against Will Ospreay on YouTube. Those are two matches I highly recommend you watching from Impact. And Impact Wrestling this week, it was good. It was great, to be honest with you. So, yeah, that's just my review of that. So, with that being said, that was your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week.
And now we move over to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Damage Control and Asuka coming to the ring to open up SmackDown. Bailey would take credit for coming up with the idea of having Asuka join Damage Control last week. There will be a moment where Asuka, Io, and Kairi Sane will speak Japanese and laugh. Bailey would try to understand what they are talking about, but Dakota Kai will have to let Bailey know that they were saying that someone in the ring isn't a part of damage control. Now, at this moment, you will see Bailey have a look of, of concern because Bailey has been suspecting something's been going on. She doesn't really say it, but you kind of been seeing it in her face. And Dakota would let Bailey know that a, it's Oscar. Oscar isn't part of damage control yet because Bailey has it uh, initiated Oscar into damage control because that's Bailey's job. So Bailey would give Oscar a t-shirt and bend the knee. Asuka would take it, so apparently Asuka's now part of damage control. Now, Dakota Kai would spring this idea on Bailey that saying that um, damage control going against Bianca Belair, Charlotte, and Shotzi, and whoever they can get to meet them at War Games. And again, Bailey looking shocked. She doesn't really agree with this idea, but she has to put up the face and say, yeah, sure. So they would throw out the official challenge damage control versus uh, Bianca Belair, Charlotte, Shotzi, and a mystery partner. That's when Shotzi's tank would come out on the stage. And this was a setup because Shotzi would attack uh, damage control from behind. Charlotte and Bianca would then run down to the ring to help Shotzi, but the numbers were too much. And you would see Shotzi and the rest of the ladies have to retreat. Now, throughout the rest of the night, you will see Bianca Belair, Shotzi, and Charlotte try to recruit uh, other members to join them. You will see Bianca talk to Mia Yim um later in the night and you see that the deal's kind of done but damage control will attack me and him now the next person they would try to recruit later in the night would be selena vega but i'll get to that after i talk about santos escobar because selena plays an important part in the santos escobar uh part of the show on smackdown but just know that selena vega got attacked by damage control so selena is not a part of team bianca charlotte and uh shotzi for war games so we have that there, but I'll get to Selena when I talk about Santos. Uh, the first match of the night that we do have is Pretty Deadly going against Street Profits, going against the Brawling Brutes in a triple threat tag match. And a winner of this match will be facing the Judgment Day for the Unified Tag Team titles next week on SmackDown. And the Street Profits will be getting that opportunity because they will win this match by pinfall when Butch will look to hit Elton Prince with a broke kick, Elton would move, and Butch would accidentally hit Rich Holland. The Street Profits would then hit Ridge with a revelation to win the match. So Street Profits win, and they face Judgment Day next week for the tag team titles. And after the match, you will see Butch like walk over to Ridge to see if Ridge is okay. Ridge kind of brushes Butch off of him, and he just walks to the back by himself. So we could be teasing a breakup between Butch and Ridge and a kind of breakup between the Brawling Brutes. Again, I'll ask the same question that I did before. Where is Sheamus? Sheamus is the guy that's been missing. He's been missing for quite a good I want to say a month or two months by now. So hopefully, I hope everything's good with Sheamus. I hope he's not dealing with anything like life-threatening injuries or anything like that. I hope he would just take some time off. But Sheamus is missed right now. For real. I wouldn't... Like, I'm used to seeing Sheamus so much on my TV screen. Like, okay. But this is the longest I can say for some time that I haven't seen Sheamus. Like, for real. Because Sheamus just got back to being like over over with the people since last year i mean last year was his retribution year because he went against gunther at clash of the castle and that really started 
picking up steam for him. But just not having him on the screen with the Brawling Brutes whole like thing with Butch and Rich, it just seems weird. So if they're going to break up Butch and Rich, good. Let Butch go back to being himself, being Pete Dunn, snapping fingers, being the vicious guy that he is, and let Ridge do his own thing. But if they're not, hurry up and get Sheamus back so we can get Brawling Brutes as a unit. That's all I'm asking. Now, next up, we get Dragon Lee going against Axiom. Dragon Lee would win the match by pinfall by hitting Operation Dragon. That's the name that they're calling the Destino in WWE. So Dragon Lee would beat Axiom here. Next up, we would get Santos Escobar. Santos Escobar will come down to the ring and he will explain why he attacked Rey Mysterio last week. So I'm going to allow Santos to explain himself. Dominic was right. Now let's think about it for a second. I wanted, I deserved to be the United States champion. And who became the champion? I wanted to rebuild the LWO. And who took over and brought new members? New members like Carlito. Hey, Carlito, te digo una cosa. A partir de este momento, entiéndelo. Soy tu peor enemigo. Y lo que le pasó a Rey, te va a pasar a ti también. We were supposed to be like this. Familia, orgullosamente latino, hasta la muerte y después, right? But what did you do? You sided with an outsider like Carlito over me? You know what, Ray? I know you're watching from your hospital bed right now. All this pain you're suffering right now, I hope it reminds you of how I felt when you betrayed me. You're gonna like this one more. You thought I was going to come out here and apologize. All right. I'll apologize. I apologize for not doing more damage. And Ray, this one, from the bottom of my heart, I hope the surgery didn't go well. I hope you catch an infection and they have to amputate your leg. Oh, my God. Somebody cut this guy's mic off. I hope you never come back. So you can hear a lot of frustration from Santos Escobar. Santos is just jealous. In my personal opinion, I think everybody has been seeing that's been brewing in Santos for a good, at least a good couple months. When Ray won the United States title, I think that's whenever the like jealousy really started to kick in because that's the first thing that he mentioned, that he should have been the United States champion except Ray Mysterio. And that how LWO was just supposed to be basically Legato and Ray and that Santos was supposed to run it, but Ray was the guy that ends up running it, and that Ray was the guy that ended up bringing Carlito in. I think Santos was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to, like, control everything, but Ray just happens to be the legend so beloved in that uh, Santos, having the respect and having the love that he did have for Ray, just said, okay, cool, you get to do it, fine. I'll take a back seat, but I know that the reins will be coming to me when it's time, but the reins just never came to him and I think that's what really snapped off in Santos here that's the reason why he turned on Ray even though we got the explanation but also the biggest player hater thing was that he holds Ray got an infection in his leg and that his surgery didn't go well that he might get his leg amputated I have never heard a wrestler ever say I wish a person not well when a surgery happens if I did I don't remember hearing it but boy this was this for Santos he was he was cooking here now, as Santos would continue to speak, Selena Vega would come down to the ring. Selena would get in Santos' face, questioning Santos about why he did what he did. Uh, Santos wouldn't want to hear it, and Santos would tell Selena that their business relationship is over. 
Selena would then slap Santos and then leave the ring crying up the ramp. Uh, Selena was then met by Joaquin Wilde and Cruz del Toro, and they would be there to console her. Santos would see them, and he would tell them that he made them and ask them what they're going to do. Are they going to leave Ray and join back with him or what? So you would get Cruz and Wilde coming into the ring. They would say they don't know this version of Santos here, so they're not joining Santos. Santos would tell them, go ahead, go, leave my ring. You guys are both dead weight anyway. And again, you will see Cruz and Wilde just uh, look at Santos, continue to talk and say something to him, and then they would leave the ring. But Santos would attack both of them from behind, beat both of them up until Carlito would come down to the ring. And that's when Santos would leave the ring. Now, it would be announced the next week at Survivor Series, Santos Escobar will be going against Carlito in a match. So we have that being set up right there. Now, I do find it pretty funny, again, that Santos will say that Dominic is right. Because Dominic has been calling Rey Mysterio deadbeat dad literally for a good solid year now. A good solid year and some months. So this just gives credence. Every time someone has a feud with Ray, they always say Dominic was right. Dominic was right. And just gives Dominic a big puffed up head. So I can't wait to see the legion of guys just meeting with Dominic, probably shaking his hand saying, man, I can't believe you survived that narcissistic dad of yours. It's coming because you got Logan Paul who's cool with Dominic. You can kind of see where they're going with that with Dom and Logan. Now Santos, yeah, we're on to something. It's coming. Now, next up, we have Cameron Grimes going against Grayson Waller. Austin Theory will be on commentary for this. Grayson would win the match by pinfall when Grayson was outside the ring. Theory would leave the commentary table to check on Grayson. Uh, Cameron Grimes, he would get on the apron, look to kick Grayson Waller in the chest, but Grayson would move, and Theory would eat the kick. Grayson Waller would then take this as an ap- uh, opportunity to sweep the leg of Cameron Grimes and drop him on the apron, then roll Grimes back into the ring, and Grayson would then hit a flipping unprettier onto Cameron Grimes to win the match. Now, next up, you have Jimmy Uso, Solzakoa, Paul Heyman to come out, and Paul Heyman would just sing the praise of Solzakoa. How he took down John Cena at Crown Jewel, how you're never going to see John Cena again, and if you do, he's not going to be the same John Cena because Solo decimated him, eviscerated him, victimized him, you know, the typical stuff. LA Knight will come out, LA Knight will tell Paul to shut it. He's out here because he wants to take care of the bloodline so he can get back to Roman. And the first piece of that plan is to start with Jimmy Uso. So you would get LA Knight to go against Jimmy Uso. They would have their match. LA Knight would win the match by pinfall, but hitting the BFT. Now, after the match, Sosakoa will come down. Sosakoa and LA Knight would have a stare down. Jimmy Uso would attack uh, LA Knight from behind. Solo would then join in. Now it's a 2 on 1 beatdown. Solo would hit LA Knight with the Samoan spike. And you would see Solo go over to the commentary table. Clear the commentary table off. Jimmy would bring LA Knight over to the commentary table. Solo would put him on top. You just start seeing Solo beating up on LA Knight until Cody Rhodes would run down to the ring and make the save. Now, Cody, he was backstage earlier in Nick Aldis' uh, dressing room. And you didn't see them talk. You just saw Nick Aldis walk into his dressing room. You see Cody Rhodes right there. So you kind of see that Cody has a plan for whatever he's there for with Nick, but we never ever see or hear or even get a detail or an idea why Cody is there. We just know Cody's there, and he talked to Nick Aldis. 
So Cody's out here. He's helping Ellie Knight beat up on Jimmy and Solo. And you see Solo and Jimmy have to retreat. So you could kind of guess that Cody's back on track to want to finish his story, be the WWE champion. The reason why he came back to WWE, it's coming again. We're on the road to the Royal Rumble. It's it's Survivor Series, but we're on the big road to Royal Rumble, which will lead to the road to WrestleMania. And I'm surprised they're putting in effort because I've said it before. And if you're been a fan of WWE, they usually don't do like storytelling telling whenever it's like November, December. They usually like kind of lean back and get their foot off the pedal. They kind of regroup themselves because January is when they start putting their foot on the pedal again and really going forward because Royal Rumble season Royal Rumble, then it's like fast tracks to WrestleMania. So for them to put this time and effort into basically going into Royal Rumble, I do like seeing that, if I'm going to be completely honest. So Cody, he's back. He's, well, he's been back, but you can see that he is back on the track to want to finish his story here. That's the reason why he helped out LA Knight. Now, we go to our main event segment here. We get Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, and Shotzi coming down to the ring. They would except damage controls challenge for war games and you will see charlotte take the mic charlotte would talk about how she has betrayed friends um before and she knows that going to war there's nobody better than to have a friend by your side and before charlotte could announce who that mystery partner would be for their team out would walk damage control Bailey would be cocky. Bailey would tell Charlotte that she has no friends. As a matter of fact, she has nobody in her phone that she can call and that her team isn't going to make it to Survivor Series. As a matter of fact, they're not going to make it to tonight because they're about to get beat up. So you would see Damage Control get on the ring apron. Now you have Damage Control looking at Charlotte, Bianca, and Shotzi. You see the stare down, and then you would see Becky Lynch come in through the crowd, and Becky Lynch standing beside Charlotte, Bianca, and Shotzi. So, Becky Lynch is now part of Team Bianca, Charlotte, Shotzi for war games against Damage Control. You see Damage Control looking in awe, but they go in the ring and they start having a brawl. So, it was a four-on-four woman brawl to end SmackDown. I like that, and it gives also people... The remembrance of Charlotte and Becky, they do have beef with each other, but they're able to subside that beef that they have to basically clear out the common goal is, which is damage control, kind of destroying damage control at Survivor Series War Games. So that's how SmackDown will end. I enjoyed it. And that's my SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we move over to AEW Collision. Collision will be on Friday nights exactly at the exact same time as SmackDown because they're not going to be able to do it today on Saturday because of AEW Full Gear. So Collision will start off with the Patriarchy, which is Christian Cage's group name. You'll see Christian Cage, TNT Champion, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne coming down to the ring. Christian will talk about their upcoming match at Full Gear. Christian would mention that that will be Sting's last match and how if Darby needs any fatherly guidance, he knows where to look. Christian would then move over to talk about Adam Copeland, saying that Adam came to AEW to steal Christian's spotlight and how Adam was coddled in the other environment while Christian Cage wasn't. He always had to go into the trenches and dig it out of the mud 
And at full gear, those two will finally compete with each other and we'll see which method actually worked. And at full gear, Christian is going to prove how he is more superior than Adam and that he is going to break Adam's neck. So we get Christian Cage uh, mission statement. That's what he wants to do at full gear. Now what you got to wait to see if that will actually happen. Now, the first match of Collision will be Miro going against Daniel Garcia. Miro would win the match by referee stoppage. When Miro would lock in the game over, Danny Garcia would pass out and the referee would call for the bell. Good match from Miro, Daniel Garcia. The reason how this match even comes together was because last week on Collision, Daniel Garcia went against Andrade El Idolo. Andrade is the newest client of CJ Perry. That's the wife of Miro. And anybody that's even associated with CJ, Miro has a problem with. Anybody that goes against a client or a could-be client of a CJ, Miro has a problem with because he's a jealous man, and he mentioned that last week. So that's the reason why we have Daniel Garcia going against Miro here. Uh, Daniel Garcia had a good match against Miro. Those two just went for it against each other. Solid match, to be completely honest. Now, next up, we have... Kings of the Black Throne, which is a subgroup of the House of Black, which is Malachi Black and Brody King, going against Dalton Castle's The Boys. The King of the Black Throne would win the match by pinfall by hitting Dante's Inferno on one of the boys to win the match. So we have that here. It was good to see Brody King wrestle. It was good to see Malachi Black wrestle. I miss seeing both of those guys on TV wrestling. So to get that here... That was good. I, I enjoyed it. And it also was a tune-up match for them because they got to go into full gear, which is now a ladder match for the AEW Tag Team titles, Fatal 4-Way style. LFIs, Roosh, and Drillisico going against the Tag Team Champions, Ricky Starks, Big Bill going against FTR, going against Kings of the Black Throne. So, again, this was a tune-up match for the Kings of the Black Throne. Next up, we had a Fatal 4-Way match where the winner will be facing Christian Cage for the TNT Championship on Rampage. And Rampage, what happened immediately after Collision? You will have Trent Beretta, Brian Cage, Commander, and Pentagon in this match. Or Penta, sorry. Trent would win the match by pitiful by hitting Strong Zero on Commander. So Trent will be getting the TNT Championship opportunity against Christian on Rampage. Next up, you have Warlow going against a local guy. His name is Evan Daniels. Warlow would win the match by referee stoppage, and it was just an onslaught slaughter. I mean, as soon as the match would even begin, Warlow would straight up just bum rush the dude, hit him with a power bomb, hit him with a swanton, and then hit him with a high angle power bomb. And that's literally the match. I just laid it all out for you. Warlow means business. He's here to like exude dominance and just destroy everyone and everybody in his way just to get at MJF. That's his mission and that's what he wants. So that's what we have here. And I like this new warlord to be honest. Just out here destroying everybody in his path. And I think this is the warlord that we were supposed to be getting uh after he left MJF. But we had the fun loving warlord that everybody liked. But I'm glad we get to see a more serious, dangerous side of Warlord. This is the guy that we need, to be completely honest. Again, I'm glad that this is now the Warlord that we're getting. Next up, we have Dax Harwood going against Roosh. You have Ricky Starks on commentary. Big Bill will be backing Ricky on commentary. The match would end in no contest when Ricky would interfere and spear Roosh after Roosh mushed 
Ricky in the face while Ricky was doing commentary. Rushi's kind of a hothead. He would beat up on Dax, and he heard Ricky talk. He went over to Ricky, mooshed him in the face. So that's why Ricky interfered there. Now, after the match, everything just started going into absolute mayhem. Ricky would beat up on Rouge. Dax would get into it. Then you start seeing members come in. Big Bill, then the Kings of the Black Throne, then LFI, then Cash. Then, I mean, everybody just came in and just start brawling with one another. As I said before, this is getting everybody into some type of momentum going into that ladder match for the AEW Tag Titles at full gear. I enjoy seeing a brawl. I always enjoy seeing the chaos. So I enjoyed this highly. Next up, we had Buddy Matthews going against Willa Yuta. Buddy would get the win by pinfall after hitting a powerbomb then a curb stomp to win the match. Now, after the match, Buddy would get a chair and he's going to use it, but Claudio Castagnoli would run down to the ring and Buddy would retreat. Claudio would get a mic and challenge Buddy to a match at full gear and Buddy would accept. So we have that match and I, and I think that match is going to be actually on the pre-show because I don't see this match actually being on the main show to be completely honest. Also, I forgot to mention, Last week, AEW Collision, uh, Tony Khan made that announcement of a tournament called the Continental Classic. This is basically going to be AEW's version of the G1 Climax. Basically, you have 12 guys, I believe. Every person is going to be facing off against one another. And the person with the most points will basically win. So we have that tournament announced. And we now know two people that are in this tournament. One is Brian Danielson, and the second one is Andrade El Idolo. So those are our two people out of the 12 that we do know that's in this Continental Classic. Now, we go over to the main event of AEW Collision. It's a tag match. The Outcasts, which is represented by Soraya and Ruby Soho, going against the TBS champion, Chris Statlander, and the AEW Women's champion, Hukaru Shida. Chris and Shida would win the match by pinfall when Cool Hand Angelo Parker would be looking after Ruby Soho because Ruby is uh, beaten up. She rolls out of the ring. Angelo, who's been at uh, behind the barricade wearing a Ruby shirt, just looking at Ruby. He would jump over the barricade, go over to Ruby, make sure she's all right, make sure she's okay. Soraya, she would see it, and Soraya would just look at those two with the angry look on her face. Now, this allowed Hukarashita to hit Soraya with the, the katana, which is a rolling knee to the face, to win the match for her team. So we get that, and you start seeing where we're leading to with the outcasts, or at least Soraya and Ruby, because those are only two people left. Ruby is going to be with Angelo Parker, and Soraya is going to be by herself. And I think Soraya is kind of nervous about being by herself, because she hasn't been by herself since she's been in AEW. I think... Well, the first time. Hold up, wait a minute. Yeah, she went against Britt Baker last year at Full Gear. But other than that, no, she's always been, like, attached to the hip with somebody. So, uh, yeah, this will be Soraya's first time actually being by herself. I think Soraya's kind of nervous. So that's the reason why she wants to kind of cling on to dear life for Ruby Soho. But since Ruby is starting to uh, get attached to Angelo here, you're starting to see them become an item. I think that's where we're leading to. And I think Matt Menard is going to play a part because I don't think Matt Menard is going to want his boy Angelo to be leaving him as well. So it's going to be fun to see how this thing uh, plays out with both of these uh, teams. 
But that's how AEW Collision would end. So that's your AEW Collision Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to AEW Rampage. We will start off with the TNT Championship. Trent going against the champion, Christian Cage, who will have Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne in his corner. Christian would win the match by pinfall, hitting the kill switch to win the match to retain his TNT Championship. Next up, we have Tony Storm with Luther in her, in her corner, going against Emi Sakura. Tony would win the match by pinfall, but hitting Storm Zero, which is a quick pile driver, uh, to win the match. This gives Tony momentum as she goes against Hikaru Shida at full gear for the AEW Women's Championship. So this was her tune-up match. The main event match, and hear what I said, the main event match will be Action Andretti going against Roderick Strong. With the kingdom in Roddy's corner, Roderick would win the match by pinfall, but hitting end of heartache on Action Andretti. Now, the final thing on AEW Collision that you would see is a sit-down interview that Renee Paquette would have with Jay White. Again, this is to give and build momentum into Jay White's match with MJF at full gear for the AEW World title. And as they were talking, MJF would attack Jay White. MJF is trying to get back his AEW World title. And at one moment in the beatdown, he actually is able to hold on to the AEW World title until Jay White grabs it from MJF and starts like retreating and running out of the room. MJF would give chase. You see Jay White like cowering, telling MJF, wait, 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 hold on, we could talk. And Jay White was basically setting MJF up because Juice Robinson would attack uh, MJF from behind. Now you get Juice and MJF fighting with each other. Juice would bring MJF back into the interview room, shut the door, and we don't see what happens until Jay White goes right back in there. And now we see Max over a prone Juice body and he's holding up the flash screen TV and he's about to spike it onto Juice's body. But you see MJF look at Jay and he just throws it at him. Now you see Jay White leave. MJF gives chase and now they go like down to the ring. So Jay and MJF, they fight uh, the guns, Austin Gun, Colton Gun. They would come down. They would help Jay White. Now it's a three-on-one beat down. They're beating up on Max. Max is holding the AEW World title, and he just doesn't want to let go of it as he's getting beat down by Bullet Club Gold. Eventually, Jay White would take the title away from him. Uh, Austin and Colton, they will hold MJF up. Jay White is talking trash to MJF. It looks like he's about to hit him with the world title. Until Samoa Joe's music would hit and Samoa Joe would run down to the ring. Now, once Samoa Joe run down to the ring, Bullet Club Gold would leave the ring and start going up the ramp. Samoa Joe, he would help MJF up to his feet and he would extend his hand out to MJF. Now, this is the moment that Samoa Joe has been waiting for. Is MJF going to take his help or not? We get this moment where MGF, he's holding his jaw, he's looking at the people, the people are chanting, yes, Jay White and Austin Gunn, they're shouting, don't you do it, don't do it. MGF would eventually shake the hands of Samoa Joe, which makes the deal official. So MGF now has to give Samoa Joe a world title opportunity because Samoa Joe is now going to be MJF's tag team partner against the Guns at AEW Full Geared pre-show to defend the Ring of Honor tag team titles. So that's how AEW Rampage would end. And again, 
All this is the build up for full gear to get people interested into watching it. And I hope everybody does watch it, at least if you can. And if you don't, you'll hear my review of it uh, tomorrow as well. So with that, that's your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I do want to say one thing before I get into the predictions. This week was the 18th year anniversary of losing Eddie Guerrero, wrestling legend. I mean, just, he's the guy that everybody, like, whenever they mention Eddie, they talk about the Eddie in China, Latino heat story. They talk about Ray and Eddie, the whole turning on, uh, feuding with one another business. Uh, they talk about Eddie winning the WWE title away from Brock Lesnar. And more importantly, they talk about Eddie's lie, cheat, and steal antics. And I've been pondering this question, I want to say since uh, September or August is one of these two months. I I was thinking about it because I was watching SummerSlam, I believe 2002, and I thought, who is more influential, Eddie Guerrero or Ric Flair? And I posed this idea and I thought, when Ric Flair passes, who's going to be the most influential out of the two, Eddie or Rick? I think it's going to be Eddie Guerrero, to be honest. I think Eddie's going to be more influential than Rick because this era of wrestlers that are wrestling right now on TV, they watch Eddie Guerrero. Like, they watch prime Eddie Guerrero from when he was transitioning from the WCW into WWE when he got into the character work. And they got to see him perform as a character, doing the lie, cheat, and steal, doing the Latino heat, doing the Mamacita. Uh, wrestling phenomenal matches, see him get fired, come back, have his whole deal with the Los Guerreros, doing the lie, cheat, and steal, becoming WWE champion, feuding with Ray as his last like big official feud before he did with Batista before his eventual uh, demise. This era of wrestlers have seen that. They grew up on this, like Eddie Guerrero, and they were able to do the research on Eddie Guerrero, WCW, and ECW, and, like, Lucha Libre stuff. While Ric Flair, yes, he is the style profile. You do the chops, you hear the woos, you uh, get the figure four, but nobody can cut a Ric Flair-esque promo. The only other person I could see that actually was able to cut a Ric Flair-esque promo was literally Maxwell Jacob Freeman, MJF, when he did the whole Tony Khan fire me bit last year, like, after Double or Nothing. Like, people can dress in suits, but I don't think people dressing in suits would be, like, tributed to Ric Flair. Like, the way you contributed the lie, cheat, and steal. Like, you see people do the lie, cheat, and steal portion in their matches. You know that's Eddie Guerrero. When people do the Three Amigos, you see them do it. You know that's Eddie. When they do the shoulder shrugs, you know that's Eddie. When they go up to the top rope and try to hit a frog splash, people say Eddie. So, I mean, again... That's just a question I've been pondering. I think Eddie Guerrero will literally go down as one of the most legit, influential people over a Ric Flair and over a Shawn Michaels because Eddie was able to translate into the American audience. He already had the Latino audience, but he has the American audience as well. So I think Eddie literally will go down as the most influential wrestler of all time. But again, that's just my thinking process of it since uh, people were talking about Eddie this year, well, this week. So that's just my thought process. But again, I would like to 
I'm gonna pose that question and I'm gonna see people's reactions, but we'll see what happens. Now, I'm gonna get to the AEW full gear predictions. They have 11 matches, but three of them are pre-show. I'm not going to... Well, yeah, let me just do pre-show. Why not? I'll include it. For the Ring of Honor World Championship, we have Eddie Kingston going against Jay Lethal. Eddie Kingston is winning it. I don't see them, like, dropping it to Jay Lethal. So, Eddie retaining the Ring of Honor Championship. Buddy Matthews going against Claudio Castagnoli. I think Claudio is going to win it, and I think Claudio is going to be put into the uh, Continental Classic. So, that's a way to put Claudio in. But I think Claudio and Buddy's going to have one hell of a match. And for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles, MGF Samoa Joe going against the Guns. MGF and Joe. I think MGF and Joe are going to retain the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. But if the Guns win it, I would think this, I think that would be like a precursor for people to think, okay, Max is going to lose all his belts tonight. But again, we'll have to wait and see about that. But my best money is MGF Samoa Joe. Now, on to the official match matches for the uh, Full Gear pay-per-view. Bukara Shida versus Timeless Tony Storm for the AEW Women's World Championship. Even though they are giving a lot of time to Tony Storm and a lot of time to her character and all this stuff, I think Bukara Shida is going to retain the Women's Championship because if you just drop the title back to Tony Storm after Shida just won it, what are we saying about Bukara Shida? She didn't need to have a legit title run in front of people instead of uh, just holding it for a couple weeks and dropping it to someone else. She didn't need to have a legit title run, so I think she didn't needs to retain the title. If they give it the title to Tony Storm, yes, yeah, she'll be able to do some stuff with it with character work and all the stuff that she's able to do now that she has this uh, 1940s, 50s era-esque character. But she does, she needs to retain the title. Because Tony, she's still able to do character work without the title, as we've seen already with what she's doing now. Um, so, Sheeta, hopefully she retains the title. That's just my pick. Trio's champion, not championship guy. Trio's match. Sting, Darby, Adam Copeland going against Christian, Luchasaurus, Nick Wayne. I think Sting, Darby, and Adam's winning this. Uh, Nick Wayne probably will eat the pin from either Sting or Adam Copeland. So, that's my pick on that. Uh, the International Championship, Orange Cassidy versus John Moxley 2. I think Orange Cassidy is going to win it, and I think he's going to do something uh, Dick Dashley nefarious to beat John Moxley because the whole thing between Moxley and Orange Cassidy is that Orange Cassidy, he lost to John Moxley at All Out for the International Championship, and now that he's got back the International Championship, he doesn't want to lose something that he holds so precious that he realized that he holds precious. So, with Orange Cassidy also seeing and having fear of John Moxley because he couldn't drop him with his orange punch in the tag match that he had with Hook and Wheeler Yuta, I think Orange Cassidy's probably going to do something, probably kick Moxley in the nuts, probably rake his eyes, probably try to do something. Not Arch Cassidy like to retain the international championship so that we can get a rubber match between the two and then we'll probably get a hardcore style match between both of those guys. That's just my personal idea where I think we're going with these two. But Arch Cassidy retaining the title. Texas Deathmatch, Hangman Page going against Swerve Strickland. I would love for Swerve to win it. If I'm going to be completely honest, I would love for Swerve to win it. But with Hangman being showing more 
dangerous side. He didn't let Swerve talk. He didn't just let Swerve say anything in their confrontation that they had on Dynamite. I think they're going to give Hangman this. And again, I think we're going to get down to the rubber match of Hangman versus Swerve. And I think nobody's going to have a problem with it. And I think we might get another steel cage, to be completely honest. I think Hangman and Swerve ending their feud inside of Steel Cage, I think that would be great. But I I say Hangman, but if they give it a Swerve, I'm not mad at it at all. So Hangman, but I'm hoping deep down inside they probably give it a Swerve, to be honest. Now, time for the tag team match, the Golden Jets going against the Young Bucks. What the condition is, if the Golden Jets win, they get the Young Bucks AEW World Tag Team Championship opportunity. But if the Young Bucks win, the Golden Jets must disband. I'm going with the Golden Jets, which are Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho. The reason why I say that is because you'll get more mileage out of the Young Bucks being, being quote-unquote children in the way that Kenny Omega has been saying that they have been acting like children these past few uh, weeks. If you give the win over to the Golden Jets, they challenge for the tag team titles and the Young Bucks ultimately end up screwing them, and if they do, they can even join the Don Callis family. Because what better way to screw over Kenny Omega than by screwing him out of the tag team titles that they're about to win, and you join his most arch nemesis, Don Callis, to join the Don Callis family. So that's the way I'm thinking steps ahead. So I say the Golden Jets, but if they give it to the Young Bucks, I want the Young Bucks to do something like completely evil, evil, even to Kenny Omega if they do win the match. Not just to Chris Jericho, but to Kenny Omega as well. So that's the way I view if they do give it to the Young Bucks, but my best bet is the Golden Jets. Next up, Chris Stadlander defending the TBS Championship in a triple threat against Julia Hart and Sky Blue. I say Julia Hart because you can kind of see where they're going with it. Chris Statlander. She's been a good TBS champion, but I see that they want to go over and give it to Julia Hart because they've been giving Julia Hart more matches, which is a good thing. They've been giving Sky Blue matches as well, but Sky has been having a little beef with Chris Statlander. Like, it's been bubbling, but you kind of can see it, and Julia's kind of just going to play this puppet master pulling the strings with this. So I see Julia probably pulling the strings, and she's going to, like, weasel in to win the TBS championship from Chris Stanlander's body. That's the way I'm thinking it. So, Julia Hart winning the TBS Championship. Now we move over to the Fatal 4-Way ladder match for the tag team titles. Ricky Starks, Bill, Big Bill going against LFI, FTR, Kings of the Black Throne. You know what? Uh, this is a hard one. Because you know what? Um, I don't see LFI winning it. Not at all. FTR, nope. Kings of the Black Throne, that would be crazy. Because now you'll have almost everybody in... Uh, House of Black with championships, but I don't see them winning it either, so I give it to Ricky Starks and Big Bill. They just won it off of FTR about a month ago. You see Ricky Starks having a tag team title, a championship, if you will. You see Big Bill having a championship. They're just getting started with their tag team makeshift run here. Why not give it more legs and more room to grow and see what they could do? So I say Ricky Starks and Big Bill. But down the line, am I... Am I opposed to Kings of the Black Throne winning it? No. Am I opposed to LFI winning it? No. FTR? A little bit right now, because I think FTR needs to probably go to somebody, somewhere else to wrestle a different team. And I'm calling for the Motor City Machine Guns, because Motor City Machine Guns, I feel that they're 
building towards FTR going against Motor City Machine Guns on Impact Wrestling. That's just me and my own personal head. By the way, I saw Impact this past week, but I could be tripping. But uh, yeah, FTR, I don't think they should be going after the tag team titles right now. I think they should be trying to do something else. Probably go after the trio championships or something else. That's just me. So Ricky and Big Bill retain the uh, tag team titles. Now we move over to the main event. MJF going against Jay White. This will be MJF's one whole full year uh, calendar as AEW World Champion if he wins and retains his title against Jay White here at Full Gear. I think MJF will do so. I think MJF will beat Jay White, and I think it will be at the hands of the man under the devil mask. And again, nobody knows who that person is. Do I think that we get to see who that person is here at Full Gear? I would say no. I think we hold off on that until AEW's last official year. Well, last official pay-per-view of the year, which is, I believe, December the 30th. So we save the person who's under the devil devil mask until then. And we give Samoa Joe versus MGF that match there. But again, we got weeks until that. That's just my how my brain goes. I think MGF and J-Way are gonna have a is gonna have a great match between the two. But MGF is going to retain it thanks to the person under the devil mask. And we don't know who that person is until the next pay-per-view to end out the year. So that can build up AEW in 2024. And we can start off with a fresh bang for 2024. That's the way I feel and the way I think. Again, I'm thinking steps along into the future with everything. But MGF beating Jay White to retain the AEW world title. I think that's the deal here. Now, with that being said, that has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I want you guys to know that I will be dropping two episodes tomorrow. It's the usual. I'll be dropping my Sunday episode, which I usually do, which I talk about everything in the news that happened this week. And I will be dropping a review of AEW Full Gear. So if you did not get to watch it tonight, you will be able to hear it from me, what happened at the pay-per-view, who won, who lost, my feelings about the show, where I think certain storylines or potential storylines might be going into the future. You'll hear from that from me tomorrow all as well. But also, if you did not listen to my midweek breakdown, that's where I talk about any and everything, which I drop on Wednesdays. You can go listen to that now. Now, with the self-promotion out of the way, this has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by my 2 Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I love you all. I hope you guys have a great day. Again, you know where to find me tomorrow and uh, elsewhere. So, with that being said, so long. Have a great day. Be blessed. You'll hear from me soon.